This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Feeling stuck? We start this episode with some strategies to tackle those things that you keep putting off. Next, we revisit our live conversation with journalist Alicia Menendez, discussing her book, The Likeability Trap, How to Break Free and Succeed as You Are. Alicia shows us the many real barriers women commonly face in the workplace, and we talk about what we can do about it. Welcome to Tamarindo Podcast, hosted by me, Brenda Gonzalez, a political nerd and nonprofit capacity builder. And me, Ana Sheila Victorino, a queer well-being enthusiast and mindset coach. We are a Latinx empowerment podcast discussing politics, culture, and how to keep your calma with well-being practices and self-love. Welcome to the show. Hello, Tamarindo Podcast listeners. This is take six of us coming back from our break. It's so great to <laughs> yes. hopefully be in your ears. How's it going, Ana Sheila? We are back. First, I just want to say buenos dias or buenas tardes to our, our Tamarindo amigos from wherever you're listening. Um, I'm doing great, you know, staying calm through our technical difficulties, Mexico internet particularly. But um, the big update on my end is I'm officially a cat parent and... Brenda and I in the past had always bonded over how much we hated cats. Yeah, boo. (laughs) (laughs) But what I want to share with the world for other maybe cat haters out there, I totally get you. But I've learned that I just didn't understand them. And cats are not very friendly with people that aren't like their their owners. But I've become I'm such a nerd. So I love learning everything about everything. And I knew zero about cats and why they acted the way they did. So I now am a cat expert and have made definitely a 180, at least when it comes to my cat i like our cat that we rescued from from the street is stay but yeah that's my update i'm a i'm a cat parent and stumbling through it how about you brenda que pasa contigo no updates for me i still generally don't like cats but your cat is pretty friendly <laughs> and i will say speaking of cats that there are some good cats out there my parents had a super awesome cat his his name was misha he was all white with blue eyes he never used a litter box because he would just knock on the window and say i gotta go And then he'd come back. He was such a great cat. Didn't last very long, though. He got attacked by a dog, even Mm -hmm. though I love dogs. Well, Anna Shayla, what have we got for folks today? So today we are starting with, so we're in the middle of what's been an exhausting year for many of us. And that can often be a time when we're feeling a little stuck. Um, We lose motivation. We get off track with our routine. Or we just feel really overwhelmed the amount of things that we have to do. Totally true. It's the middle of the year, middle of the time makes me think of like hump day, Wednesday, when you kind of get stuck in your week. And it's been a long time since we had those New Year's, you know, New Year's intentions. And we all know that this basically I'm feeling very much March 2020 vibes with this Delta (laughs) variant. Masks are back on the the vaccine misinformation is totally extending this pandemic. And all of that is just kind of 
adding to this hump feeling, you know, like the, this feeling of feeling stuck. Yes, it's it's exhausting. So if y'all are feeling like that, if you're feeling stuck, if you're feeling overwhelmed, you are not alone. So that's why today we are starting our episode with a calma. So for those of you that are new to Tamarindo, welcome. Uh, calma or our hashtag calma moment, as we like to use on the socials, is when we introduce a practice or idea that can help bring more grounding or calmness into our lives. So today our calma is specifically about ways to get unstuck and deal with feeling overwhelmed. So Brenda, what is something new that you've added to help shake up your routine? Yeah, well, I think something that I've added uh, is that um, I took a comedy writing class and what this was is it was like a turbo class every single morning for 30 minutes. We would do these writing drills all via Zoom with our awesome instructor, um, Zara Norbash. And she would push us to hush our inner editor. And I really like that. I really basically have incorporated that message to other things, that inner voice and hushing that inner critic. And it's been super helpful. And I'll even tell you a recent example in which I put that into practice. I'm always trying new things. So I just, I found a uh, high intensity interval training gym and it was super intense, even for me. And normally I'm the best one in the class as soon as I get there. And, and I was not, but I hushed, <laughs> I hushed that part of my voice, you know, right? That, that mindset and just like, you know what, girl, you're almost 40. Of course, you're not going to be the best one in this class. And, and I was able to just kind of be okay with that. And so that's one thing that I've done. But, you know, I got to be honest with you, even getting through this episode, I have been feeling overwhelmed. There's just so many impending deadlines. We're constantly traveling, Jeff and I, which doesn't help either. So I have been feeling overwhelmed. So Anna Shayla, what do you have for me? for ways that I can organize or, or get my life together so I don't feel as overwhelmed. Yes. So a few things. If you're feeling super, super overwhelmed and you don't know what to do, the first thing that I would recommend is actually just free write what your feelings are. Um, sometimes we have all these thoughts and ideas in our head and they just they, they become so overwhelming because they're really jumbled up. You can't organize your thoughts in your mind the way that you can on paper. So I would do, I would recommend free writing your feelings, what's weighing you down. And sometimes actually writing can help you get more clear. So that's one just like basic um, tip. But then I want to introduce a tool. It's a model that you can use when you're feeling like you've really overwhelmed. You've got a lot of things to do and you're not sure how to organize them. So if y'all want to quickly stop and get a piece of paper and, and pen, y'all can do that. But basically you draw a quadrant. So you have four little squares and in each square, you're going to write important, urgent, not important, and not urgent. And then you're going to write all the tasks and all the things that you have to do that are making you feel overwhelmed. And you're going to place them into each one of these quadrants. You want to prioritize is you want to first prioritize anything that is urgent and important. Okay, so urgent and important goes first. And then after that, you want to prioritize urgent and not important and important and not urgent. The only thing that you want to watch out for here is that you might end up doing all the urgent but not important things first. So then you still have to do um, the important but not urgent. So for those, maybe those are like really big things that you want to do at some point. But you'll want to make sure that you make the time for those important but not urgent items by creating a dedicated time to do it. So that might mean like putting it in your calendar, like actually setting aside time, because otherwise you'll keep just doing all the urgent things. And then lastly, you have the bucket for things that are not urgent and not important. And so those you want to just leave those there. Um, get everything else done first. And then you can always, you still have these items that you have there. So you can revisit them after you do everything else, because maybe they weren't urgent or important, but they've become either urgent or important. Does that make sense? 
It does make sense. I'm, I'm very much a visual learner. So perhaps for those that um, are listening that are like me and need to kind of see it, maybe that'll be an assignment for us and Ashayla to find a way to show that visually. Yeah, totally. And you know what I can do is I can look for um, a little model that displays that and we can add that to the show notes for anyone that would like to do that exercise. Fantastic. Put, put that in the column of um, urgent and important. <laughs> yes. Um, great. Okay. Well, this is, you know, this is definitely a helpful tool. Um, and uh, I want to talk about times where maybe you keep pushing something off and um, it, it's paralyzing. I know you recently shared one way that you've tackled this, right? Because there's certain things and you just keep putting off maybe because you don't even want to do them. They're so overwhelming. So tell me about that. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that we put off, right? Or that we don't want to do. And a lot of times it's either because they feel really hard, they feel scary, or they're just, they feel like they're going to be really boring or just like painstaking, right? And so a big realization for me was that my procrastination was often rooted in some type of fear, a fear that I wasn't going to do something well, or that things were just not going to turn out the way I want them to. So for y'all, if that's something that you've dealt with, um, if you're feeling paralyzed, here are a few things that have helped me. So the first thing is do these things when you have the most energy. So don't leave them for the end of the day. Like, so I know for me, the things that I don't want to do, I'm like, oh, I'll do them after I do all these other things. Come nighttime, I'm like, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. Right. How many people have said like, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. Right. So do it these things that you don't want to do when you have the most energy, not when you have the least amount of energy. So that's number one. Number two, actually put them in your calendar. And this worked so well for me a few weeks ago. There were a few things like um, like taxes related, things that I just did not want to do. And I actually created like a time and, and I listed all those things and I actually got a lot of them done. So that's number two. Number three, get rid of distractions. So um, for example, if you are getting distracted and you have your phone next to you, put your phone away. If you're having a hard time getting to the gym after work, take your clothes with you. So what things can you do to get rid of barriers and distractions? That's number three. And number four, um, you know, if we're procrastinating, we might do everything except the thing that we need to do. Right. So setting a timer where you're going to where you're focusing on just that might help you actually do it. So those are a few tips. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe when you put that block on your calendar, I believe you called it shit that I don't want to do, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, that's, yes. that's great. Now, I'm curious, though, did that give you any feelings of like impending doom because you saw that date approaching and it's like, ugh, the things I don't want to do? Or did you just kind of brace yourself like, you know what, this is the time that I'm going to do the things I don't want to do? Yeah, you know, it's I didn't put the date that far out. Like I did it like I was like, OK, I'm doing this. And I and I think I created it for the next day or two days later. So I think maybe that's why. I didn't have enough time to for it to build up as <laughs> impending doom. That's great. OK, so maybe that's another another way to approach it. Y'all don't push it way back because then you're like, oh, right. no, more time for the feelings of doom to fester inside of you. Um, OK, so to recap for folks, if you're feeling stuck or overwhelmed, there's a couple of things you could do. You try to add something completely new to shake up your routine. You might learn a new tip. Like, for example, who would have thought that from a comedy writing class, I would have the, the notion of, of canceling my inner editor, my inner critic. So write down and try a tool that will help you 
kind of prioritize. So like the matrix that Anna Shayla described earlier, which we will link some resources in the show notes so you all can visualize what that looks like. And also incorporate practices that will help you take action, like doing them from when you have the most energy, like in the morning and getting them on your calendar, removing distractions and using a timer. One more thing that I'll add to that too um, about removing distractions is also being clear with the people that you work with on um, the ways you want to be communicated to or, or the, the ways you want to communicate. I, I bring that up because I work with so many different folks. I have so many collaborators and um, I was pushing away from getting folks to communicate via text because again, I also like most of us, I find the phone to be very distracting. How many of us have gone in there to check one text message and all of a sudden you've gone through an internet hole, right? So mm -hmm. I try to push people away from texting unless it's super, super urgent. I really do want to think of my phone as like purely social and fun and and try the other tools that are available to us for during working hours when possible right these are these are other ways that you can get that phone away i love that yes yes okay so i'm going to give anna shayla matraca for giving us those tips to get over the over the hump the hump of the year which is where we are right now uh but what we want to do today in this uh episode and as uh, returning back from break we're really really want to revisit some a time earlier when we felt super energized, which is when we had an event with journal award-winning journalist and writer Alicia Menendez. And I think this is such a great time to revisit this conversation because it really is about um, thinking about getting over those humps or giving getting over those things that we that, that we procrastinate, those overwhelming feelings. It's totally valid to have those feelings and especially for women because there are so many barriers, both um, professionally and socially that get that can add to that feeling of being overwhelmed. That is really what Alicia covers in her book, The Likeability Trap. So the book is called The Likeability Trap, How to Break Free and Succeed as You Are. You all should definitely read that book. So what we did is we invited Alicia and she was so gracious to have a conversation with our Damarindo community. This was a live Zoom event and she joined us and had a really, really candid conversation about the book and, and all the research that she put into it and what she found out and what she learned. And so we are saving for you all the highlights of that conversation, when you, which you are about to hear. Yes. And, you know, we think it's such a great time to revisit some of the themes in her book. It really covers some of the real barriers some of us face when we don't feel the mold of leadership that we've been taught and that we see, which is one that is cis, straight, white and male. Right. Right. Many of us will never be any of those things. So and, mm -hmm. and I love how um, Alicia gets into all of that. So we're going to dive right in. We're going to just kind of like pop into that that event. And like I mentioned, this was a live event. It was done via Zoom. So please don't mind the less than stellar recording, but there's a lot of great content right there. So let's take it away with Alicia. So I'm a person who cares a lot about being well-liked. I think that is because I am a cancer, I am a crier, and I am a Latina. And I think, you know, there's a lot of diversity within our communities. But one of the things that came up for me again and again when I was interviewing other Latinas is one woman put it this way, which is if you grow up Latina, you grow up with a PhD in graciousness. You know that when you go into a room, you don't just represent yourself. You represent your nuclear family. You represent your extended 
extended family, you represent your community. By community, I mean, I represent everyone in Union City, New Jersey. I represent everyone in Hudson County. I represent every Cuban American in the entire country. I represent every East Coast, Caribbean, Latina. It just goes on and on. And that is a sense of responsibility that is instilled in us at a young age. I think it is both incredible. And I think we all also recognize it is this thing we carry with us. And there is a heaviness to it that comes with us into professional spaces. And so there are a lot of traps. That's sort of the lie of the title of the book, which I act as though it's one, but it's many. And the success likability penalty, if you are an ambitious professional woman, then you either watched Sheryl Sandberg's viral TED Talk or you read or skimmed her book, um, Lean In. And in it, she talks about the fact that the more successful a woman becomes, the less other people like her just because. That we are so unaccustomed to seeing women be uber successful that when a woman is very, very, very successful, we assume either that there's something wrong with her or that she must have done something terrible or something nefarious in order to ascend to such great heights. There is a skepticism around her. And what I think we get wrong in the way that we have traditionally talked about that is that we act as though it is a one-time choice. Do I want to be likable or do I want to be successful? And I actually think it is a series of micro choices that women are making all throughout their careers and sometimes even multiple times in a single day. So it shows up when we apply for jobs. It shows up when we go through interviews. It shows up every time we ask for a promotion or a raise, every time we ask to be put on a stretch assignment, every time we say that we believe we are more capable or worthy of something greater. Because what we expect of women is for women to do what is in everyone's best interest. And what we expect of a leader, what we see as someone who you know has that it thing, is that they are able to advocate for themselves. So inherently, what we imagine women to be and what we imagine leaders to be are in conflict. So every time a woman says, I think I'm ready to be promoted to a senior director position, I believe I am worthy of making $85,000. I believe that I should be put on that team that is seen as the best team. People get uneasy because they're not accustomed to watching women say that, of watching women go to the mat for themselves. And the thing that I want to make sure that I underscore here is that is real. That's not just in your head. That's not just something that can be washed away with an Instagram meme. It's not about you just doing you and not caring. You really are involved in a very complicated calculus. And if I, what I want you to know is that is not in your own head. That is across industries. That is across offices. The feeling that you are making these constant trade-offs is very, very real. We're starting to see a lot of workplaces, you know, encourage folks to bring their whole selves to work. And, and as you, I've heard you say, we live in an age where we're told that great leaders are authentic leaders. But a lot of times, especially for women, that can that can mean bringing a performance of what folks expect you to be. So I identify as queer and I'm a Mexican immigrant who's grown up mostly in less affluent communities. And in the past, it definitely hasn't felt easy or inviting to bring my whole authentic self to work. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what you describe in, in the book as a luxury of authenticity. Incredible question. And thank you for offering that personal context because it's it's really helpful. So there's all of this stuff that we're running up against as, as women because of our gender. And I define women as anyone who is femme identifying or presenting. Um, but we also, that collides with 
our race, our ethnicity, our sexual orientation, even something like parental status. So really quickly, black women, assertive, aggressive, it's read as angry. There is no greater demerit in the workplace than being perceived as angry. As Latinas, whether we are white or black or any shade, there are two different perceptions. There is the perception that either we are meek and humble and like a great member of a team, but not someone who can lead the team, or that we're essentially Sofia Vergara's character in Modern Family, that we are hot-blooded and passionate and irrational and a really fun person to be at a party with, but again, not someone you would trust with nuclear codes. Then Asian, Asian American women, and this has been on my mind and in my heart a lot because of what we are watching happen in the Asian community. There's an expectation that Asian men and women will be docile and for Asian women that they will be submissive. And what that means when you're working in a team is if that person then says, I want to lead this team, we are both unaccustomed to expecting that from women and we're unaccustomed to expecting that from Asian Americans. And so if you're an Asian American women, woman, then people are really not accustomed to that type of assertive behavior. Um, LGBTQ folks, there's a lot more feedback around gender performance about the way that people expect them to show up. Um, and then in some ways, the one that I was least aware of was before I became a parent was parenthood and specifically motherhood, that becoming a mother essentially dials up all of the perceived feminine qualities of a person, all of the qualities that we're already talking about being challenges to navigate. And so women are constantly navigating around that. And so I think it's, you know, as you said, there is this call for authentic leadership, right? Show up as your full self, bring your full self to work. I first of all, don't know that we want anyone showing up as like their full, totally unedited, unfiltered self. I think the workplace requires an element of performance. Um, but I think that that mandate is really only feels safe for people who are presumed to be powerful and presumed to be competent. I mean, to the rest of us, it feels like either they want a performance of what they expect a Latina to be. And as this group knows very well, that can take on like infinite manifestations. And then you're working against what that person expects. Um, and sometimes you watch people do it, like just truly show up as like the same person they are on Saturday and Sunday and it lands and they're in an industry that appreciates it and they're in an organization that appreciates and that person flies. And we tend to see like so much press around that person and that person gets so celebrated and they become an icon and we all want to be them. I think they represent the minority within the minority. I think for the vast majority of us who um, identify in some way as a person who comes from a marginalized community or a marginalized identity or is in the minority within our office or industry structure, it just feels really dicey. I mean, as you said, being queer, like what do you do on Saturday? Like, is that something you want to talk about in the office? Is it something you should have to talk about in the office in order to be seen as a leader. And so that is why I think that gets so tricky, especially because we're putting the onus on the individual instead of putting the emphasis on the organization or on the industry, that what they really need to be focused on is creating a space where you really feel like you can show up as yourself and where you're not doing so much thinking about that because it feels totally safe and authentic to show up as you are. 
Thanks for going into that. Um, I have another question, but before I say that, I just have to tell you, there's so many times in this book when I was so angry. <laughs> and I think uh, one instance was this scenario where you had, it was like a study. You had two, um, a male parent and a female parent. And they were put up to, basically, there's a crisis at work and there's a crisis at home. And the woman would get damned if you do, damned if you don't. And a man does not get penalized. And so I just want to underscore that because it's it, like you started off saying it's not all in our head. Like, <laughs> Let me say it because it's, it's probably my favorite study I've ever read. And I read a lot of academic literature for this. So you, you laid it out perfectly. There's a, imagine there's a mom at an office. She gets a call that her kid is thrown up on the playground, but they're also crashing a presentation at work. She runs out the door to be with her kid. People think, wow, she's really not committed to this project. If she stays and does the project, people think, wow, she must be a terrible mother. The incredible part is that if the dad runs out the door to go pick up his kid, people say, wow, what an incredible father. And if he stays to Christina's laughing, because, you know, it's like out of a sitcom. And then if he stays, he, people are like, he's just so dedicated to this team. I mean, he wins in either scenario and the mom loses in either scenario. And again, like if you take one thing away, like that's it. It's like that's not in your head. That's real. That is actually happening. And that is what women are just constantly negotiating at work. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, we had to bring that out because it's such an important point. And then you kind of started talking about this, you know, like there's this notion that the, the onus is on us, right? There's all these workshops on you know, how to step into your voice, which is something that we talk about, which is important, but there's all these little things that are all about what we as women can do to prove that we are capable leaders. And what you mentioned is that, of course, these things are helpful, especially because we're in this now, you know, the mess is now, but that it might be distracting and moving us away from a more um, important shift. So can you talk about that? Well, and I want to say, I do think that work that you're referencing is important. I think it is always good for all of us to be mindful of the way we communicate and how the way that we communicate impacts whether or not other people can hear and process what it is that we're saying. That's fair. My problem is that the vast majority of feedback that women get is critical subjective feedback, meaning that people love to talk with us about how we use our hands, how we use our voice, how we sit in our chair, the way our blazer fits, blah, blah, blah. And sure, all of that is, is a piece of a woman's professional ascension, but one, every minute that's spent talking with her about how she uses her hands and we're Latinas, so we all have had that talk at some point, um, it's five minutes that's not spent talking with her about her regression analysis. It's five minutes that's not spent talking with her about um, whether or not she's had enough touch point with clients. Like, Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's not focusing on the hard skills, the deliverables and the results. And so there is a price that is paid um, for that. And so if you are like me and you've read a lot of, you know, how do I become like a boss babe books, all those books, right? Like they all sort of come back to me, 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 I can do it. And like, I think that's great. And I think it is always good to have more tools. I think the problem is that those books teach you how to survive 
and they don't teach you how to thrive and they don't really liberate any of us. And I am much more interested. And in the course of writing this book became much more interesting. Like what would it take to fundamentally call BS on this and shift the paradigm away from this expectation that women can be likable lady leaders, that they need to be likable lady leaders. And how often when we talk about likability, are we really using it as this low key cover for bias, right? Because I think that it sort of is the final way in an office setting where it is still passable to talk about a way in which a person's difference makes you uncomfortable. And so, you know, something that you can do for yourself, if you are in a feedback session where someone says to you, Crystal, you know, you're just too assertive, you say, okay, thank you. Assertive compared to whom, right? Like who else in the office would you say is more assertive or less assertive than I am. And then the question that I think is even more useful, which is, can you draw a line for me between what you perceive as my style and how it impacts the results of my work? Now, we each need to be ready that there is a corollary between our style and the results of our work. So I may say, you know, Crystal, you pride yourself on being deliberate, but sometimes that manifests as indecision. So two weeks ago, we were supposed to get a deck to the client. You spent three days futzing around with fonts and we were late delivering it to them and we're about to lose them as a client. Okay. Like now at least, you know, how, what you are doing or the way you are showing up is contributing more often than not though, someone who tells you that you're too quiet or that you need to take up more oxygen or you need to like, they can't actually show you a way that it is showing up in your work. And that gives them an opportunity or kicks them back on their heels to think about what it is that they're saying. As powerful as that is, I think it's even more powerful when we do it for each other, that if I'm in a meeting and someone says, well, you know, like, I just don't like Christina. Then I'm like, oh, what is it about Christina you don't like? And to really tease it out. And they're like, well, she's just like a little assertive. It's like, what do you mean when you call her assertive? Like, how does that show up for you? How, how has that impacted the way you work together? Oh, it sounds to me like really just like you two have very different styles. I actually imagine that that could be really beneficial to the team that you have such different styles. That just interrogation and doing it on each other's behalves is incredibly powerful. I'm a big believer in sponsorship. Um, I still feel like I'm at the beginning of my career. I have to sometimes remind myself that I am mid-career. We know a lot about mentorship. I'm sure you all have mentors. I'm sure you have been a mentor. Sponsorship is different. Sponsorship is transactional. It is a two-way relationship. And it is someone who has a big Rolodex and is willing to leverage that Rolodex on your behalf. Um, So it is someone you go to them and you say, um, you know, Brenda, I... I've followed your work for a very long time. We're both women who work in media and I'm so impressed by what you've built. And I would like to begin a relationship with you where, you know, perhaps I can bring some of my skills in podcasting, my understanding of the millennial demographic, my understanding of the Latino demographic in exchange for, I would really like you to be able to introduce me to some of the people that you know, in X, Y, Z. And that person may say, I don't have time for this. And then, The uncomfortable part is you have to say, thank you so much for your time. Do you maybe have three people in your universe that would be a good fit? And what you're looking for is someone who's going to go to the mat for you, right? Someone who, if they're inside your organization, is going to put you on a stretch assignment. Someone who is going to say, oh, I think Crystal's ready to become a vice president at this company, right? That person is just like constantly putting your name in rotation when there is a big opportunity. Um, 
And then so much of it is organizational and that organizational stuff only works if there's buy-in from the very, very top, right? The, the CEO of a company, the executive director of a nonprofit has to fundamentally understand and value diversity and inclusion and understand that the highest performing teams are the teams that have psychological safety. They're the teams where people feel like they can show up, they can offer ideas, they can fail, they can make mistakes, and they will still be valued, not valued even more because they were willing to show up and take those risks and make those mistakes. Um, and there's a lot you can like, if you're really an HR person and you want to learn about that, there's a lot in the book about feedback and about evaluations and the way a lot of that stuff is loaded. But for those of us who are not HR people, I think the biggest thing is just like root for other people, say other people's names in rooms, right? Like, like now that I have this relationship with you, Brenda and Amashela, it's like the next time, uh, let's say a sponsor comes to me and they're like, we'd like to advertise on your podcast. I'm like, this isn't a fit for me, but I have something that might be a perfect fit. Right. Or someone comes and says, would you like to be a moderator on this? And I say, again, this isn't a, you know, this doesn't, isn't a fit for me, but I've got the perfect person that you're sort of always looking for opportunities to expand and to hand off. I think that community wise is just a, like an easy day-to-day piece that we can be doing for each other. Through your book, I, I feel like you help us recognize these traps so that we can really start to ultimately blow them up and stop caring so much about being well-liked. But you also acknowledge that this can be really hard to let go of, especially in more traditional workplaces, right? And that they also require significant unlearning. Um, and that really resonates with us because often with our, when we're interviewing our guests, it's helping us unlearn, right? And so I'm wondering, what are some of the leadership traits that may be more worthy of our energy as we start to, to let go of the focus on, on being well-liked? This is such a good question. I have to tell you, I get asked it very rarely and if I've ever been asked it, but I, this was something I grappled with a lot. Um, clarity, I think, is a big one. Clarity of vision and an ability to articulate what that vision is. That if you can say, like, I remember I interviewed Mindy Grossman and she is sort of seen as a success story because she turned the home shopping network around. I believe she'd been, I think she was at Nike. And when she left Nike, people were like, you're going to the home shopping network. Like people were very rude about it. And she just saw an opportunity and she went and it was brutal. I mean, like, I think she, she divided people into three different groups, like people who were evangelists and she could really do something with people who are on the fence. And there were 30 people she just had to let go. I mean, as a people pleaser, that makes me so deeply uncomfortable that the hair on my arms just stood up. But she was then got everybody together and was like, here's what we're going to have to do in order to save this company. And she laid out what the stakes were. She laid out her vision for how they were going to get there. And then she stood firm in that. And I think what I what I understood from her is that when you're able to do that, when you're able to be clear with yourself and then clear with others, you don't worry as much about how other people perceived it because it just is what it is. And it's what you believe has to be done in order to make things work for everyone. I found that really interesting. I think um, and this is a tricky one, which is self-awareness. Um, I think especially um, for mid-level senior leaders, um, you know, if you have the assets at your disposal to ha- ask someone for a 360 review or to bring in a coach who can suss some of that out for you. So, so Mindy Grossman, again, gave this example that I thought was helpful, which was she asked for this. I, it it might have been when she went then to Weight Watchers, which she now leads. And 
And the, per, the person did a 360 assessment and they said, you know, what we're noticing is that when everyone comes into the meeting, no one feels that they can offer you feedback because you've already decided what the outcome of the meeting is. And to her credit, she said, well, like, yeah, I, I don't want to waste time. I don't have time to sit here and talk about everyone's ideas if if these ideas aren't good. And so the way they compromised on it was everyone started giving her memos in advance of the meeting so that she could spend 15 minutes flipping through them really quickly, highlighting what she liked, Xing out what made no sense to her. And then they would start from the ideas that she thought were good ideas, which meant that more ideas were getting into the room. But we were still being honest about the fact that she was not someone who was going to go through a three hour meeting just so that, you know, she would go through the motions of doing it. And I think that's that those two things in and of themselves, clarity, self-awareness, I think they're infinitely achievable. And I think the tricky thing to end on for women with self-awareness is where we sort of take our self-awareness over into self-flagellation, where we're just like sort of spending too much time thinking about how others perceive us, which is why I do think that these support structures, if you're the type of person who has that. Now, I also want to say I was a freelancer for years. I would, I would read these HR books and I'd be like, must be nice to have an HR department. Must be nice to have someone who you can ask to pay for a $250 coach to tell you what to do. Like what do the rest of us do? And what I would say is if you don't have those, the resources to do that, having a core group of people around you who are generally lateral to you um, in the same industry or an approximate industry who really see you and get you. And by that, I mean, like, this is not a group of cheerleaders. This is not the whatever pair of jeans you put on, they're going to tell you look amazing in that pair of jeans. This is like the person who's like, yes, sometimes you do show up that way in meetings and here's how I think we could work around it. Or, um, you know, I remember once I got, I was asked to come speak at something and they weren't going to pay me to come speak. They were asking me very last minute. I was going to have to arrange childcare. And I reached out to two of the women in my universe and I said, this feels funky to me, right? Like they're asking you to do something. They're not offering to pay me. I'm going to end up losing money because I'm going to have to pay someone else to take care of my kids. If I say no, do you think I'm missing out on a big opportunity? Do you think I'm burning a bridge? And having people who are like, nope, pass. It just liberated me. I was like, okay, like now I don't have to be in my head about this because I have validation and, and again, people that I really trusted. And so I think that is a, like an easy thing that we can each build for ourselves on the WhatsApp chat. All right, we're back, y'all. Alicia is walking the walk, y'all. She was so gracious to speak to our Tamarindo community and we wanted to pass on the highlights from our time with her with all of you. And her book is awesome. Brenda, is there a takeaway from Alicia's book that we didn't get to during the chat that you would like to share? Well, yes, there is. So um, I just got done binging Never Have I Ever, which is a phenomenal show on Netflix. I really like teen shows. And um, I want to mention that because what Alicia did in her book, The Likeability Trap, is she spoke to a lot of different women, a lot of successful women and very diverse women. And one of the women that she spoke to is uh, Mindy Kellig. And Mindy from the Mindy Project, she's a writer, director, creator. She created Never Have I Ever. And I was reminded of about what Mindy mentioned to Alicia, that Mindy is intentional of creating characters that are not necessarily likable. She prioritizes characters that are relatable. And if folks have seen Never Have I Ever, the main character, her name is Devi. 
she is terrible. <laughs> She's not likable at all. She does horrible things to her friends. She's very selfish. She makes so many mistakes, but she's endearing and lovable because she's so relatable. And I really, really like that. And I really like that example of, of lifting up model main characters that are actually not models at all, right? They're just human beings that make mistakes that are super challenged. And that is just one thing that we didn't get a chance to talk to Alicia about, but that I was reminded of by binging this fantastic show. And I'll go ahead and kind of make this my matraca. Never have I ever, I loved it on Netflix. You all should watch it. Anything you'd like to add, Ana Shayla? Well, I just recently started watching that show too, actually, Fijate. <laughs> I feel like I'm so behind on TV, but I've also been really enjoying that show. <laughs> it's so great. And the second season is even better. It's such a good show. Oh, see? Yes. Yeah. And and you know what? And I like watching a teen show. I feel like because now it's like we're kind of old, right? It's also educational for me. I want to see like what's the language that people that the kids that the kids are using these days. Right. Yeah. And then um, I do want to give one more matraca. So a few weeks ago, Olympic gymnast Simone Biles, she chose to withdraw from the Tokyo Olympics and I just want to, we just want to, both Brenda and I, just give her a matraca. Yes, having the courage to listen to herself, listen to her body, do what was right for her, not what was like what other people want, because ultimately this is her life and this is her body and this is her health. And at the same time, I want to give, put in the basura, all the mostly male <laughs> critics, I want to call them armchair athletes, professional athletes, who um, gave her a lot of shit for doing this, for giving up on the country, for being weak, etc. cetera, um, from the comfort of their um, armchair. And so, I mean, the misogyny just comes out, right? The misogyny and the racism, believe me. Exactly. Nothing fires up the right wing Republicans more than a woman of color speaking up for herself. Nothing. Yes. It is their trigger. It makes them foam at the mouth. They are nothing but racist, sexist pigs. Yeah. And there was people that were really comparing... Um, Simone Biles, you know, not competing to like LeBron James, um, not playing in a game. And like, I just want to say, you know, I'm a, I'm a former basketball player, definitely not a gymnast. And like, you cannot compare those two sports when it comes to deciding to perform or not, because not being totally healthy playing basketball, it just means you're going to have a off shooting game. You know what I mean? But like not being totally mentally focused when it comes to gymnastics means you could very seriously hurt yourself or you know what I mean? It's like not the same. Or even die. Or even die. Or even die. It's not the same. It's not the same. But even still, if you're a basketball player that's not filling your A game and you sit out, great. That's fine too. You don't owe anybody anything. You're right. So yes, with that, uh, we all know all of you probably agree with us. And I just want to say <laughs> one message again to the critics. Podras Hamas. All right. So you all, please continue to support this show. We welcome your contributions and please share this episode with a friend. Yes, please. Bye. Bye, y'all. Tamarindo Podcast is part of Sonoro Media. It is hosted by Brenda Gonzalez and Ana Sheila Victorino. Producer Jeff provides original music and Michelle Andrade edits the show. Follow us on Instagram at Tamarindo Podcast and on Twitter at Tamarindo Cast. Support our show by sharing this episode with a friend, writing us a review on Apple Podcasts, or contributing financially to the show. All contributions, big or small, help us keep bringing you great conversations and free or low-cost events. To get in touch with us or to support us, please go to tamarindopodcast.com.
cuando mi arrendador dijo que el alquiler podría ser más barato si fuéramos amigos con beneficios. Había oído hablar de acoso sexual en el lugar de trabajo, pero en mi casa eso es discriminación en la vivienda basada en el sexo. La gente de bienes raíces dijo que estaríamos más cómodos viviendo en un vecindario diferente con gente como nosotros. Por suerte conocíamos nuestros derechos. Es ilegal asustar a los posibles propietarios para que se alejen de ciertos vecindarios en función de raza o nacionalidad. Si usted cree que sufrió discriminación o tiene preguntas sobre sus derechos, comuníquese con Fair Housing Foundation, Fundación de Vivienda Justa, al 800-446-3247 o también en línea en fhfca.org. La vivienda justa es su derecho. Este es un anuncio de servicio público de Fair Housing Foundation y respaldado por el Departamento de Vivienda y Desarrollo Urbano HUD bajo la subvención de FIPPI, FPEI, 220099 With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So, I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky. Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.